Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. Today it's J.J. Cooper and Teddy Cahill. Teddy Cahill wrote our Cleveland Indians top 10 that was in the most recent issue of Baseball America that is in your hands if you're a subscriber at this point, hopefully. Uh, if you are a digital subscriber, you've seen it. And we're going to talk about it today here on the podcast. Before we do, that is a great reminder that it's always a good time to subscribe to Baseball America, but right now is a truly great time to subscribe to Baseball America. We're almost halfway through our look at the top tens for every organization. We're wrapping up the American League. We're in the American League West right now. So we're finishing up the American League West. Mariners top 10 went live today here on the Wednesday that we're recording this podcast. We'll be done with the AL real soon. We'll be moving on into the NL. And so baseballamerica.com slash store. You can subscribe and get the print product. You can subscribe and get the print product, which gives you also the online content, the pay online content. You can also subscribe as an online subscriber, or you can get a digital form of the magazine for your iPad like I do and, and things like that. So it is a great time to subscribe as always, baseballamerica.com slash store. But Teddy, as we look at this, this is a good year to be a uh, Cleveland Indians fan, clearly. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good year to be a Clevelander in general. Yeah, it's, the, it's been, and you can't say that very often. Teddy <laughs> is our is our Ohioan of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the office now that uh, Clint Longenecker is no longer with us. So yes, I, I guess I have to carry. You the, have to carry the, the Ohio against the world or Cleveland against the world, whichever shirt LeBron's wearing uh, this week uh, to carry that banner. But we, you have the, uh, the the Cavs as champs. You have the Indians as the American League champs. And the thing that does stand out, though, here is, is that Cleveland just made it, even though they had injuries to their pitching staff that you could argue makes their, could make their 2017 club maybe even better, on paper at least, than their 2016 club. And they still have what I would argue, and we're going to talk about this in more depth after we talk about the, the big league club, but the best farm system of any team in the division as well. That's a pretty good combo. But with that... I mean, how long do you think this window is for Cleveland? I mean, they, they went last year, but it doesn't seem like the window's closing yet. No, I, it doesn't at all. And the, like you mentioned, like, it's kind of incredible that it was this Indians team that made it. This Indians team that didn't have Michael Brantley hardly at all. And this Indians team that had Carrasco and Salazar go down in the second half and had to go through the, the playoffs with Corey Kluber pitching every third day because they just didn't like their other options. Um, but how long is this window available? I mean, like, this team is basically coming back intact next year. Napoli, Rajay Davis, Coco Crisp are the only free agents this year. Uh, and Those are free agents that you can... They're affordable free agents if they want them, too. Or you can also, and you can replace them if you yes. need to, too. That's, that's not trying to figure out how, okay, Cespedes is gone. Where are we going to fill right, that? That's right. not anything like that. And next year, Carlos Santana is Carlos Santana's contract year. Uh, but for the most part, this team is intact through 18, and much of it later than that. Corey Kluber has options through 2021. Francisco Lindor has five more cost-controlled years without even talking about extensions. Jason Kipnis is still five under contract. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, Lindor is under contract. We'll be in the 2020s. Yes. And Which doesn't seem that far away anymore. But No, it, it doesn't. That, that is coming up. But the fact that you have Kluber and Lindor, who are the team's pretty much two best players at this point, um, you know, certainly the, the ace of the staff and the, the most important piece of the offense, they're both going to be in place for several years to come. 
Uh, I mean, that's a that's an enviable spot to be in, I, I think. And, and the entire rotation is is youthful. Uh, Josh Tomlin is over 30, but the rest of them are all under 30. And uh, th- there are a lot of options and, here. And let's be honest, Josh Tomlin, as well as he pitched in the postseason, yes. is not the guy that Cleveland's uh, playoff hopes revolve around. So, yeah, this is it, – it's, it's impressive what they've done. And also, as you look at this top ten – you talked about like Carlos Santana is the next guy uh, who could be leaving, and Mike Napoli looks like there's a pretty good chance he is leaving. They're not necessarily well positioned to just plug a guy in to replace Napoli, you know, from the farm system. But that when Santana leaves, they may be positioned to plug someone in. Now, I, Francisco Mejia is, you know, it would be a shame to make him a DH or anything like that, but. Uh, it does jump out that you have this switch hitting catcher who really can hit, who will be headed to Double A next year. That that might be very well timed. Uh, well, and not just him. Uh, I mean, yes, he's the number one prospect, but you also have Bobby Bradley, exactly, uh, who is a first baseman and, quite frankly, could be a DH. Um, that you know, fits the DH much more yes. than because there are there are less defensive value there with Bobby Bradley. Right, but so he I really can hit for those homers. Those two guys are both going to going to go to to Double A next year and and potentially be ready to go at some level at least in 2018. Uh, the other thing that's interesting with that obviously is is you look at this top ten. They made a big trade to get Andrew Miller, and the brilliant thing about that is is they not only got Andrew Miller for postseason run but they have him under contract for two more years as well which is very valuable in so many different ways for them come if they hold on to him or also if they ever wanted to trade him we we've established that the value of andrew miller and trade is is a very very high one but they also the trade that didn't happen the trade that was supposed to be and help me if i miss anyone here but the jonathan lacroix trade where jonathan lacroix as was his right to do turned down the trade but was going to be Francisco Mejia, Yu Cheng Cheng, and Greg Allen were on that trade, right? And Sean Armstrong. And Sean Armstrong. Well, Mejia's number one on this list. Cheng is number six. Allen's number ten. Can't help but notice, that's probably like the, the gift that keeps giving because as good as Lucroy is, and I know they didn't win it, so you can't say, well, they won it without getting But it's really hard to say when you look at how the postseason shook out. It's really hard to say that Luke Roy could have really helped them that much. And so instead, I mean, let's start with Mejia. Mejia has a chance to be a pretty special player, does he not? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the, the at what he did this year, and obviously the hitting streak stands out. I mean, you hit in 50 straight games. Like, that is, that's a thing. Uh, but it's more than that. You know, he, he really came out of his... There's always offensive potential there, but he'd always been very young for his level. And they finally slowed down a little bit, sent him back to Lake County to start this year, and he broke out there. And then he continued the hitting streak through a whole lot of complications. He gets promoted. (laughs) He keeps hitting. It doesn't matter. He goes to the Futures game, comes back, keeps hitting. doesn't matter. He gets traded or not, keeps hitting. doesn't matter. Like there was, he was sick in there or mild injuries. Right. Like it didn't matter. He was hitting. Right. He just and he's kept doing this as a catcher. So if you have a catcher with that kind of contact ability, that kind of hit ability, that is really important. Now there is some concern about how good of a defender he can be, but 
the fact is we're talking about a guy that is a six hitter at least, and I mean that's going to play even if he does have to move. I I almost kind of think because he's so good offensively, his offensive potential actually probably adds to me to the chances that he does move. I they're different players, but I think back. I've been at Baseball America for way for a long, long time, and I Victor Martinez is now on the tail end of his career, but. There's those scouting reports. If you talk about what Mejia's strengths and weaknesses are and what Victor Martinez, I think Mejia is a better catch. Mejia has an arm that is beyond anything that Victor Martinez had behind right. the plate. But when you look at the totality of Victor Martinez's career, when you look back on it, Victor Martinez catcher is going to be a, a small portion of the Victor Martinez career, partly because he was such a good hitter that you wanted him in the lineup every day. That's the concern I have kind of with... Mejia catcher is he's if he's the hitter that we think he could be he's such a good hitter that it's really tough to say okay well we want to catch him you know that, there's wear and tear involved in that the Indians have had a succession of switching catchers in Victor Martinez Carlos Santana and now Mejia mm-hmm. and he can do it um and Santana and Martinez both obviously did not catch particularly long but Santana caught for basically his first four years in the big mm-hmm. leagues. So if Mejia can even do that, like that makes him considerably valuable. Right. What he doesn't have that those two guys maybe have a little like he he's not neither one of those guys is a is a perfect comp for them. Santana hits for more power. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martinez has a little more power. Though they they both walk more than Mejia. He doesn't Mejia doesn't strike out. But he also would much rather. So far, his yeah, it's like it's like put the ball in play, right. which is part of the reason you get to a. Let's be honest. Generally, a fifty-game hitting streak, which when we talk about there aren't guys to compare to, but generally that's because if you're a guy who walks a hundred, hundred and twenty times in a season, it's a lot harder to have a fifty-game hitting streak because you got to put the ball in play four times a night to, right. to kind of to to run into a fifty-game hitting streak, but. The, the one that's interesting to me in another way is, is Bradley Zimmer's number two on this list. Bradley Zimmer's two. <laughs> the Indians have not lacked for center fielders lately. No. Bradley that's Zimmer's. what happens when you draft three in a row with the first pick of your, of your drafts. So Tyler Naquin was in the big leagues this year and really kind of, to his credit, kind of played, you know, really emerged. I know you've always been a Tyler Naquin guy. I have not. You, you, <laughs> I, I'll give it to you on that one. That. But Naquin emerged in center field well enough that it makes it, I mean, he's established a spot for him that kind of makes the path for Bradley Zimmer slightly more complicated. Again, there's outfield openings there, but slightly more complicated because a guy got there first. Mm-hmm. And then we have Greg Allen on this list as well, who, if you said what stands out about Greg Allen, Greg Allen's the best defensive center fielder of these three, is he not? Yes. So you've got... Three young center field options there. That's kind of fascinating. Where does Zimmer fit in that? Do you think long term? Yeah, you know, I mean this is uh, this is a int- very intriguing question. Uh, the Indians' outfield situation, as I've written seemingly many many times already this offseason, it's it's unsettled. And part of the reason it's unsettled is because Michael Brantley is a question mark. The Indians were hoping he would play at some point this year, and he didn't. So if Michael Brantley comes back. That takes away left field. Okay, left field is Michael Brantley's in, and there's not a if he's healthy, it's his. Right. He he basically would get 400 at bats if he was healthy and did not play well. He has enough 
reserve capital built up from what he was yes. to get a long... A, he gets basically April through June to prove that he's not what he was because he was that good. Right. And so you look beyond that, and it's not, it's not necessarily settled past that. Naquin uh, did a lot of platooning this year. It mm-hmm. was an incredible season, but they did a very good job of keeping him away from left-handers. And some, there are some defensive questions. Defensive metrics did not like Tyler Naquin in center field this year. Uh, there were some misplays in the World Series, particularly, I believe that was Game 7, although... Lonnie Chisholm Wright is the one that sticks out also even more so. Right. Um, Who's also still in the mix. Yes, and and Chisholm Hall, the tender deadline is on Friday. He has to be tendered a contract. The expectation is that they will. I fully expect that to happen. Uh, But while he's been in the big leagues for a while, it's hardly, he's hardly, you know, going to block Bradley Zimmer. If Bradley Zimmer busts through, Lonnie Chisholm Hall can be moved aside for that. Right, and if he busts through, the thing that Zimmer has is if you are lining this up and saying, okay, who could move to right, the most logical one of those is probably Zimmer, is it not? Well, Naquin has the arm for right field as well. Zimmer probably fits the traditional profile a little more. He hits for more power in Naquin's 14 home runs this year, notwithstanding. Um, you know, Zimmer's supposed to be more of the power hitter. Mm-hmm. So I could see him in right field. I could see him in center field. Greg Allen can play center field. They can put Naquin really wherever and, they want to put him. I mean, they have options. And Greg here. Allen is a fourth. And Greg Allen, if Greg Allen breaks through eventually as a fourth outfielder to start with, that also, again, makes some sense because he's a guy who could do that. The, the plus defender. And again, when we talk about this, you look at what this Cleveland team just did. When you say, okay, who's their outfield? Well, the answer was. Who was exactly. It was five guys. Yeah. And I mean, like. Brandon Geyer was playing regular, you know, Brandon Geyer was getting ABs in the postseason. Coco Crisp was out there, and then when you get later innings, if it was a close game, it's like we cannot, his arm is, we can't hide his arm any further. So, okay, he's out. Rajah Davis was in there for what he could do. Tyler, you know, Tyler Naquin, Lonnie Chisinau. There were five guys who were getting, so it's not like you have to say here are the three. For that and, team. I mean, they still have their their sorted other guys kind of floating around. Abraham Amante is, I believe, still floating around there. Uh, obviously, he wasn't eligible for the postseason due to his, due to his PED suspension. Um, there are talks about do they bring Rajay Davis back? Do they bring somebody like him in? And Jose Ramirez settled at third base, but he'd started the season as an outfielder in large part. So there's a lot of versatility, which the Indians want, which Terry Francona wants, which they're very good at dealing with. Um, so for now, I think the outfield situation is going to be unsettled, which is good for Bradley Zimmer. It's going to mean there are opportunities. When he's ready, he will get the chance, and they will work around him, or they will work him in, and then they will work around him if he merits it. The thing with that is, is that what's interesting is, is that his time in AAA at the end of the year kind of raises the question. You, you hit the keyword when, if you know, when he's ready, and. There were more struggles there. That was this was a rough year in some ways for Zimmer, was it not? There are, I mean, the the strikeout rate spiked. Uh, he struck out thirty percent of the time this year, uh, which was up from twenty three percent the year before. Uh, he's facing more advanced pitching than he ever had before. The walk rate came up too. I mean, there there are some there's some things here to to work with, but there, I mean, it was not a, it hasn't been a smooth path through the upper levels. For Zimmer, he's ha- he's having to work through some things, and there are some questions he has to answer. That's why he's not number one on this mm-hmm. list. 
He was number one a year ago. Um, it's but, not just Mejia moved up. Right. He moved up and Zimmer fell back a little bit. I mean, it was a discussion. There mm-hmm. certainly was a, a, a discussion here, but he he did not, you know, the, 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 the year he had did not demand that he still be number one. The two other, I mean, we, we're not going to talk about everyone here on the list. You, BaseballAmerica.com, we have the Indians full top ten up. Subscribers can read all the scouting reports. But two other guys I did want to touch on you because I think they're fascinating. Brady Aiken, number four on this list. And that's a tough guy to rank right now. Very difficult. As you probably know if you're listening to this podcast, Brady Aiken was the number one pick in the draft uh, a few years ago now with Houston. Did not sign after... The, basically, the, the physical found that he had a shortened UCL. His UCL, his elbow ligament was smaller than most. Um, to, you know, if you, he, the, Aiken and his family thought, well, that's not proof of an injury. I should still get the agreed upon bonus. The Astros disagreed. He went back into the draft after tearing his UCL, having Tommy John surgery. When Cleveland drafted him, he was basically in the rehab process. Makes it back this year, and the arm speed was not consistently there in his return. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, especially at the start of, like, when he first came back in the Arizona League, um, in, in the complex, he wasn't, it wasn't the same. Um, as he gained strength and got further away from the surgery, um, the reports get better. Which is what we want to hear, um, right. especially for a guy who was 87 to 91 a good bit. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of upper 80s this year, which is not what he'd been doing in that, high school. Fair to say, you don't go 1-1 as a high school <laughs> lefty who goes, oh, there's a lot of high 80s there. That, yeah. that is not a 1-1 profile. Yeah. Um, there's more low 90s later, which still isn't all the way back. Right. This um, is the guy who was... Touching some sixes yes. pretty regularly during his high school senior season. But there's also, like, his command wasn't there at the start either. That is more typical for a yes. Tommy John. Uh, and, and the breaking ball, not as sharp. But that's, again, all this comes back to he's got to get back the arm speed. Right. If the arm speed comes back, it's not like he hasn't shown he can spin a breaking ball before. And the, the most interesting thing about all of this is he's carving with his lesson stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, he's facing, obviously, low-level hitters. He's not that old himself either. Right. But, he's, but he was coming from a – he's coming from the showcases and, and SoCal. Those give you, you – you've – I mean, he was, he was so mature, so advanced as a high school senior that it's not necessarily – it would not have been surprising for him to go out and carve when the Astros drafted him mm-hmm. at all. But he carved – with less and stuff after surgery, which was encouraging. I mean, he turned 20 in August, and, you know, I mean, that's pretty age-appropriate for the Penn League, which is mm-hmm. where he spent most of the summer uh, or most of the season. And so the results were there. The stuff hasn't fully caught up yet. If he's ranked fourth basically because he has it, like, he's shown it before. It seemingly got better as the year went along. And if he can do it, like... The ceiling is still pretty high. It's now he has, to, high. he has to get it back, um, but it's a bit of a pass this year. While he you know tries to regain strength, just gets used to being back on the mound. The best way I could put it is a year from now, he's probably either going to rank one two on this list, or back of the ten at best. Yes. Because either 
he's going to, the arm speed's going to be back. And if it is, he's better than anyone. Francisco Mejia is number one on this list. Brady Aiken is everything that Brady Aiken could be and has shown in the past. Brady Aiken's a better prospect. On the flip side, if we're talking about Brady Aiken this time next year and we say, that was a lot of 88s and 89s, and we saw some ones and twos, well, that's going to be at that point two years removed from surgery. It's going to be highly doubtful that he's going to consistently have that same R speed that he had before. So we're going to know a lot more 12, you know, 12 months from now than we do right now. And especially because he'll advance into full season ball for the first time. Mm -hmm. It'll be very interesting to see how he handles that jump, which is a jump, and it's an important one. It's an important one for every prospect. So it'll be very interesting. I'm very interested to see how he handles full season ball. The other one is fascinating. He's been long fascinating to me, uh, going back to when he was in the high school draft class, was Will Benson, who is number seven on this list. And when you talk about, again, it, I, I love what they did where you have Will Benson, Nolan Jones, who, to me, it's like Will Benson, you, you got two guys, one of whom is you're swinging for the fences. And the other one, okay, the upside of Will Benson to me is, is higher than Nolan Jones. Yeah. Whereas Nolan Jones, though, there's a much more of a, a, a comfort level of certainty with Nolan Jones. Well, as much as you can have. Right. He's, he's a high prep yeah, Northeast prep hitter. But pure hitter, whereas Will Benson, it's every other tool, check, 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 check. Is he going to hit? Right. And so far in his debut, Will Benson checked off power, speed. You know, he, he could be a solid defender in the outfield. And he hit 209. And struck out 60 times in uh, 158 at-bats. So that concern does still exist as we yes. sit here. It's very early in Will Benson's pro career. But that's, again, he's a guy who a year from now, him and Brady Aiken, I feel like are both guys who we're going to know a lot more. Will Benson, if he goes to Lake County, which that's kind of what we expect to, to see happen. Most likely, yeah. If he goes to Lake County... I would expect there to be some growing pains there, but he also could be a guy, if he puts it together, even by the end of next year, is putting together some impressive feats. Because, again, there's power, there's speed. It's a very interesting package. What, I mean, what do you kind of expect from Will Benson in the in the near and the long term? You know, it, it'll be very interesting to see. I, Clint Frazier, another outfielder, uh, from power Georgia, hitting from school. Georgia with some hitability questions went out and struck out a lot in his mm -hmm. debut in Arizona. And he struck out a lot in Lake County that first mm -hmm. year. He really struggled in Lake County that first year. Yeah. And he'd started out the year hurt, and so there was some, he was he was delayed a little bit, and maybe he didn't quite have the spring training he needed to have because of the injury, and, and he was playing catch up. But regardless, he, he struggled in Lake County that year, in the first half especially, but he kind of figured it out. And I think Will Benson could be looking at, at a similar developmental path, and I think the Indians would be quite happy if he took that. You know, he, they're not looking for him to to shoot through the system. No, or no, no. They don't need him to. No, they have outfielders ahead of him. There, there needs to be a little separation. Right. Let's get let's get the Zimmers and Naquins of the world <laughs> into year two, three of their service time before we start, you know, thinking about Will Benson. So if they, you know, if he just goes out and, and, and holds his own as a, a teenager in a difficult park to hit in, in a difficult league to hit in, in a colder environment than he'll be used to playing in um, in April, I, I think they'll be pretty happy. He's going to strike out a lot next year. I think everyone is, is yes. prepared for that. Um, but you would like to see him starting to figure it out 
maybe he doesn't figure it out by May 1, maybe it's by August 1, but you would like to see some progress in terms of his approach and pitch recognition. Right, because that's really, again, it's, it's all about the hit tool for him because everything else there is, it's very and He's impressive. an incredible athlete. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, you, you got to remember, like, I go back to Turn of the Stars, which that's the invitational tournament at the start of the summer showcase season for amateurs heading into Benson and everyone in his class's senior year, and where they basically pick the cut down to a certain group that's then going to be the trials roster for USA Baseball's 18U team. The thing that stood about Benson, beyond the fact that he was, he towered over many of his teammates because he's, he's massive, was he also turned in the second best 60-yard uh, dash time of anyone there. I mean, again, he's not, you're not going to see that time out of the box because he's a big guy, you know, and there's uh, often the swing will not exactly, he's not, it's not Ichiro where he's headed to first base, you know, before he's even done with the swing. But you are talking about a guy who has power and can run, really impressive athlete. But it'll be interesting to see kind of how quickly that development process, again, it's not going to be a fast one, but yeah, I agree with you. It's, I'm going to be fascinated to see Will Benson's 26-17 season, mainly because how much does the improvement, you know, how, how quickly do, do the improvements come along? But again, this is, this is a, a system with a number of guys who are at least on the fringe of the top 100. I mean, I think there are five pretty well locks, and then Yu Chen Chain is close, and I wouldn't be surprised if he made it at all. Right, and that's for a team that brings most everyone back from uh, the AL pennant winners and has most of those guys locked up for long term. This is a team that, again, if you get to July of, of 2017 and they're in the mix and they need to make a move, they have pieces. And, oh, by the way, four of those top six guys are going to be in double or triple A next year. Right, because you're going to looking at Mejia's going to be in, you know, Mejia, Zimmer, uh, Bradley, and Chang. Yeah, that's... And Greg Allen is going to AAA, and Eric Gonzalez is in the big leagues. So, yeah, this is not a, a, a lot of guys who are long, long away. It's, again, it's crazy, but if you just forget about the NFL, it's a great time to be in Cleveland. <laughs> it know? is. And, I mean, you should really forget it, try and do your best, absolute best to forget about the NFL. Hey, we actually even have a tie now because, you know, we actually do have, we can talk on, you know, about the Cleveland Browns and, you know, and because we do have Hopefully Depot. Hopefully Paul D. Podesta is, is able to get the Browns moving in the right direction. But that's a, that's a, that's that's a big ask. aircraft carrier to try and be that, that's, a, that's a big ask. And the thing about it is, is that's also been Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns problem since I followed the NFL. I'm a Steeler fan and enjoy... Uh, when my Steelers beat up on the uh, Browns year after year after year. The other problem with that is is that there's also been very little uh, willingness to commit to any plan for the long term. And we may see this happen, but watch. The worst thing that they could do right now, by far, is one year into this, like the Browns go 1-15 or 0-16 this year, and then they just change over, over again, which means that all you've done is started a four- or five-year three to five year rebuild and then going to start over one year in. Well, and it's incredible to look at that in context of the, in contrast to the Indians who have stability so steady. I mean, we, we gave Chris Antonetti our executive of the year and he's been with that organization for like two decades almost at this point. And 
he's been in charge of the team since 2010. And so they can lose all these various executives that they've lost over the years. And they've lost a lot. going to Toronto, Neil Huntington going to Pittsburgh, Ross Atkins, Derek Falvey. Like, there are a lot of ex-Indians, front office people, running teams elsewhere. Much, in some ways, let's be honest, much to the chagrin of, of <laughs> other people in the game who's like, which we also now saw, the, the uh, hiring firm has been let go. But it is amazing how, I mean, Cleveland, when it comes to birthplace of GMs, Cleveland has been it. It's a very good place to be. Uh, Boston would be second, but Cleveland would be first. Even Paul Podesta was in Cleveland at one point. Uh, so, I mean, the, the culture there is just very, very ingrained, going back to John Hart and what he built in the 90s. And he's obviously long gone. But what he built, like, they have managed to maintain, and it pays off. I mean, there, there are fallow times in there, certainly, but when they, they've been steady in the last five to six years under Antonetti, and it's paying off. So we'll see where it goes from here, but, again, it's a good time to be a Cleveland uh, resident. It's a good time to be a Cleveland Indians fan. So thank you, everyone, for the download. For Teddy Cahill, I'm J.J. Cooper, and we'll be back hopefully tomorrow. I keep trying to get Lanana, Michael Lanana, to do our uh, to do our Twins podcast, and with that, we'll have wrapped up the AL Central. So maybe we'll probably talk about something else on Friday before we jump into the— Hopefully there'll be a CBA. Let's hope. Let's hope. For me especially, I mean, we all want a CBA. The Rule 5 is a week from tomorrow. You know, so I, I'm very, this is very important to me. But thank you, uh, everyone, for the download. Thank you, Teddy. For Teddy Cahill, I'm J.J. Cooper. So long, everybody.